Hi, I'm Joe Honeyhockey, and welcome to the Heavenly Social, where I introduce you to our saintly brothers and sisters. Today, I'm going to talk about a saint that shows us what sanctity through suffering looks like. So I ask, do you strive to feel more gratitude for the events in your life, good or bad? Or have you ever felt used by someone and could perhaps use some hope in healing? Well, then let me introduce you to the one and only St. Josephine Bakita. Roll that intro. This is really neat for me, because St. Josephine's feast day was just two weeks ago, on February 8th, so that kind of makes it seem like I actually have some semblance of a method to choosing the saints that I cover. Uh, I don't really, but I am thrilled nonetheless to be covering St. Josephine, because she has a truly awesome and inspiring story, but I'll get to that in just a minute. Firstly, as I mentioned before, her feast day is celebrated on February 8th, and she is the patroness of Sudan, South Sudan, and of those victimized by human trafficking. Now, into the why. So, let's check out the story of St. Josephine Bakita. Her story takes us back to 1869, when she was born. She was from the village Algasa, which is in the western Sudanese region of Darfur. According to her, she was of the Daju people, which, fun fact, is an ethnicity that extends back to the times of the Egyptian pharaohs. So that's kind of cool. Well, in her village, she lived a pretty content life, uh, until one day she recalls her oldest sister being abducted by slave traders. She had uh, three brothers and three sisters, uh, one of whom was her twin. Now, she noted that this was her first experience with suffering, because she was pretty young at that time. When she was around the age of nine, uh, she herself was abducted by Arab slave traders. In the book that I found, uh, Bakita from Slave to Saint, by Roberto Zanini, she actually recalled the event, which I'll paraphrase here. Well, she recalled how two armed men approached her and her friend, and one of them asked her friend to continue down the road while she helped them carry a bundle of wood. So her, her friend continued on, and she followed the men into the woods to help them as they asked. Well, it was there that one of them drew a knife and threatened her to remain silent, and then they took her away. The trauma of the abduction was so great that she was unable to give her captors her name, so they assigned one to her. They gave her the name Bakita, which is an Arabic name meaning lucky or fortunate. One might find that a tad ironic, but as you have probably inferred the ending of her story, uh, perhaps then it may have been divine providence hinting at what was to come. But before we jump too far ahead, let's get back on track. Bakita was entered into the slave trade, and that came with uh, all of the hardships you could imagine, <laughs> especially at nine years old. Well, she was taken to a Sudanese state capital called Alubaid, and was traded several times over the following years. I think she had anywhere from like 
six to eight different owners. And during that time, she was constantly humiliated and tortured. Well, she eventually came under the ownership of a Turkish general and was given to tend primarily to his mother and wife, uh, both of whom were especially cruel. Now, I, I don't mean to mention anything in graphic detail, but I do believe that it's important to illustrate the conditions that Bikita lived in. She recalled receiving a new wound every day, uh, usually by the whip, and uh, in the book that I mentioned before, she details the process by which the wife and mother of the Turkish general tattooed her and uh, two other slaves, uh, by which she received 114 intricate cuts that were then treated with salt so that they would scar permanently. Uh, well, these were the conditions by which the teenaged Bakita lived. Well, in 1883, so when she was about 14 years old, she was purchased by an Italian consul named Callisto Legnani, and for the first time since being forced into slavery, she experienced peace. Legnani treated her with patience and respect, and uh, never beat her. So even though she was still a slave, she served her master doing household chores in peace for two years. At that two-year mark, Consul Legnani was suddenly called to return to Italy. Now, I actually want to quote Bakita here because it's, it's great. So she says, quote, I do not know why, but when I heard the name of Italy, whose beauty and charm I knew nothing, my heart was filled with the most fervent desire, the desire to follow my master. Because he liked me so much, I dared to ask him to bring me to Italy with him. He explained to me how long and expensive the trip would be, but I insisted so much that in the end he consented. I knew later that it was God who wanted this to happen. I can still taste the joy I felt at that time. End quote. So she went to Italy, specifically Genoa, with Legnani, his friend Augusto Michieli, and another slave boy. Well, the, the slave boy was given to an owner uh, of a hotel there in Genoa, and Bakita was given to the Michieli family as a gift when Augusto's wife, Turina Michieli, upon seeing Bakita, voiced her desire to also own a black person. So Bakita went with this new family, and they also treated her very kindly. She served them as the nanny to their young daughter, Mimina. For three years, Bakita lived with the Michielis in their villa at Zianigo, which is about 16 miles west of Venice. Well, after that, Augusto acquired a large hotel in Swakin, which is in Sudan and along the Red Sea. So the family relocated there. Well, after living there for nine months, the Michielis decided that they would live there permanently. But to do so, they would need to sell their lands and property back in Italy. So Mrs. Torina Michieli returned to Italy with her daughter and Bakita to manage that process. Well, it took way longer than expected, and Torina wanted to return to Swakin to help her husband. Well, the villa had already been sold, so Bakita and Mimina needed a place to stay. 
the family's business advisor recommended that they stay with the Canosian Daughters of Charity, a.k.a. the Canosian Sisters. So, they did. On November 29th, 1888, Bakita went with the Michielli's daughter, Mamina, to live with the sisters. There she came to know God. As she put it, they, quote, introduced me to that God who, from childhood, I had felt in my heart without knowing who he was, end quote. She fell in love with Jesus. About a year later, in 1889, Tirita Michieli returned for her daughter and housemaid to take them back to Sudan. However, Bakita uncharacteristically refused. She wanted to remain in the convent and further learn about the god her heart yearned to know. Tirina appealed to the king's attorney general to resolve the matter, and at the same time, a member of the religious community contacted the Cardinal of Venice regarding the situation. So it went to the Italian courts, and the courts ruled on November 29th of 1889 that because Italy did not recognize slavery, and because the British had forced Sudan to outlaw slavery before Bakita's birth, she had never legally been a slave. She was free. With this new freedom, she was able to remain with the Canosians. On January 9th, 1890, she was baptized with the names Josephine, Margaret, and Fortunata, which is the Italian translation of Bakita. So she received the sacraments of confirmation and Holy Communion on that same day. Now, get this. <clears throat> The archbishop who administered these sacraments was none other than Cardinal Giuseppe Sarto. Eh? Don't know who that is? <laughs> well, he kind of went on to become Pope St. Pius X. So, uh, no big deal. Anyway, Josephine Bakita was now a full-fledged member of the church. She entered the novitiate of the Canosian Sisters... Uh, which is kind of like a probationary period for those of you who might not be familiar with the term. And on December 8th of 1896, she took her vows. She was assigned to the convent in Scio, which is a town in northern Italy, uh, where she remained until her death. She tended to everyone with the tender love of Jesus Christ and was a radiant soul for the community. They lovingly referred to her as their black mother and looked up to her as a living saint. Well, toward the end of her life, she began to suffer illness. But despite this, she was still able to remain filled with joy and managed to uplift all of those around her. And as she lived uh, during World War II, she was a figure of much peace and confidence during that tumultuous time. Apparently, toward the end, as she was in great pain, someone tried to cheer her up by reminding her that it was Saturday, Mary's Day. Now, if you aren't aware, well, I would suggest looking into the Five First Saturdays devotion called for by Mary uh, during her Fatima visits. Well, St. Paquita answered that reminder with, Yes, I am so happy. Our Lady. Our Lady. And it goes that these were her last audible words. 
She died February 8th, 1947, with a smile on her face. Now, I just want to take a moment and mention how much I love my friends. Through them, I'm able to encounter new friends in heaven and find that inspiration to build up new relationships. You see, two months ago, I had no idea who St. Josephine Bakita was, but my good friend Will introduced me to her, and, well, now here we are. Since Will has known St. Josephine longer than I, I asked him, well, what inspires him about her life? And here is what he had to say. I quote, When I first encountered St. Josephine Bakita, I was struck by her gentleness. She was treated poorly for much of her life, and yet she looked at others with a tender love. I have in times of difficulty asked our mother Mary and St. Paquita to sit with me and wrap their mantles around me, begging to experience this gentle love. St. Paquita also inspires me with her way of forgiveness. She said that we are invited to go beyond forgiveness, as difficult as it can be, to gratitude. It is said that she desired to meet all of her quote-unquote masters again so that she could thank them. Because without them, she says she would not have met Jesus. In this, she's not saying that the way many of them treated her was okay. But rather, she is seeing God's providence working through all things. Even and maybe especially through suffering. This is the challenge for us to go beyond forgiveness to gratitude. For me, this has meant not only forgiving myself for the many sins that I am ashamed of, but also being grateful for them, because without them, I would not have developed a deep love for the sacrament of confession, and would not have learned to rely on God in all things. Moving from forgiveness to gratitude is difficult and takes time, but we can ask St. Paquita to pray for us and teach us how. St. Paquita, pray for us. He then goes on to add a P.S. Ahem. P.S. I highly recommend the movie about her life, Paquita, Slave to Saint. It was through this movie that I had my first deep encounter with her. After the movie, I was struck with awe and knew that the way of love and hope the Christian way, was the only way to live, despite the many difficulties I was having with my faith at the time. And end quote. That's wonderfully said, Will. I don't think I could put those ideas any better myself. Hmm. I should, uh, I should probably do this more often. <laughs> uh, uh, well, no, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't share my own thoughts. So, here we go. St. Josephine Bikita is a master at sharing in the divine love of Christ. No doubt her most heroic virtue is love. Like Will pointed out, her gentleness and gratitude are the results of her basking in God's love. And she shows us that when we allow ourselves to surrender to that love... Our hearts overflow, and we're able to share that then with everybody around us. She's incredible, because loving as Christ calls us to is really all she did. 
she didn't become a master theologian, nor did she rally missionaries to venture far and wide. Rather, she encountered each individual person in the moment and showed everyone that they mattered. Why is St. Josephine Bakita so great? Because, well, she's so easy to emulate, in a manner of speaking. What are those things that you're enslaved to? And how is it that you suffer? Anxiety, depression, loneliness? These are ways in which so many of us suffer. And we don't need to compare our suffering, the specifics of our suffering, to others, because that doesn't really accomplish anything. Your suffering is uniquely yours. And what St. Josephine shows us is that amidst it all, even in our darkest hours, if we can carry with us a spirit of hope and resolve to love even when it hurts, even when nobody else is willing to love us, then our suffering, your suffering, will lead you to sainthood. Taking that to heart makes it far easier to handle the specifics of our journey as they arise. So to close things out, here is a prayer to our lovely Saint Bikita. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Saint Josephine Bikita, you were sold into slavery as a child and endured untold hardships and suffering. Once liberated from your physical enslavement, you found true redemption in your encounter with Christ and his church. O Saint Bikita, assist all those who are trapped in a state of slavery. Intercede with God on our behalf so that they will be released from their chains of captivity. Those whom man enslaves, let God set free. Provide comfort to survivors of slavery and let them look to you as an example of hope and faith. Help all survivors find healing from their wounds. We ask for your prayers and intercessions for those enslaved among us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That does it for this episode. Stay true to the divine love, and one day someone might just tell your story. Outro. And now I actually want to quote Bakita here. <clears throat> there are some amazing women in the Catholic Church. I think I'll talk about another one. One who just might inspire your sense of adventure. See ya.